0: you're listening to nick luck daily this edition is brought to you by fitzdares by the racehorse owners association and by thoroughbred racing commentaries global rankings hello
1: everyone welcome to the nick luck daily it's friday the 30th of june tom stanley in for nick busy weekends racing we'll be touching on the feature racing from newcastle including the plate and the vase the not so small matter of the irish derby on sunday now on sunday this weekend but we start with news and big news from ireland that is the irish horse racing regulatory board have been plunged into turmoil yesterday after the public accounts committee at uh, the, the PAC hearing, was told that the chief financial officer, Donald O'Shea's absence from the meeting, was linked to governance around financial transactions. There were words like grave concern and bombshell subsequently used as the IHRB's chief executive, Dara Lochlin, made an intervention in his prepared opening statement. To discuss all this, broadcaster and journalist Lydia Hislop. Lydia. First things first, why was this committee convened?
2: Right, it was convened uh, because of comments on the uh, IHRB's 2021 accounts, which were belatedly released in March 2023, on those accounts, there is a comment from the Controller and Auditor-General, who is a permanent witness to the uh, PAC Public Accounts Committee, um, referring to uh, Dennis Egan's, the former uh, chief executive of the um, uh, IHRB and prior to that, the Irish Turf Club, um, about his exit payments. And so at the opening of uh, this meeting, there were two matters that were being drawn to attention by a Seamus McCarthy. Um, and uh, these were about... Um, the code of practice for the governance of state bodies issued by the Minister for Public Expenditure, National Development, Plan Delivery and Reform requires public bodies to disclose certain information in their annual statements. Um, It's standard practice amongst the the public bodies that McCarthy audits and therefore he draws to attention any material non-compliance that he finds. Uh, The IHRB was granted an exemption by the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, which meant that it did not have to make salary disclosures in the 2018 to 2020 financial statements. In May 2022, the minister wrote to the board requesting that its 2021 and subsequent financial statements should disclose both the normal salary band information and the remuneration of the chief executive. Um, and as out- outlined by McCarthy before, the board, the IHRB, has not complied with the minister's request to make the disclosures in the 2021 financial statement and is therefore not compliant with the code of practice. And then McCarthy stated that the second matter which, uh, is around the early retirement and voluntary redundancy scheme that was made available to the IHRB staff on the 11th of May, 2021. We discussed this before in um, a podcast on... For, for Nick Luck uh, daily back in March. But subsequently, the then Chief Executive, Dennis Egan, applied for and was granted early retirement. A formal agreement was concluded with him on the 11th of June 2021, providing for his departure with effect from the 30th of September of that year. Uh, the terms of the agreement included a, pay, a termination payment of €384,870, euros. this exceeded by €141,880 euros, or 58% the amount payable to the chief executive if the scheme conditions advertised to staff had been applied. It was clearly stated that there would be no exceptions to the scheme conditions. The payment to go out agreed with and paid to the chief executive was a significant exception to the early retirement scheme terms. So those were the two matters that were being brought to the committee's attention
1: so we're, we're left trying to to piece some of these things together we at this stage I suppose we don't know a huge amount what happened in the meeting yesterday Lydia
2: well then in in response to that this is where this, the bombshell was dropped Darrow Loughlin the chief executive of the IHRB and he's been in that role since the 29th of June 2022 so I think that's exactly a year isn't it that he's he's been in the role and he made mm. Uh, an opening statement to the hearing which included this statement within the last 48 hours in the course of preparing for this meeting a hitherto unknown issue that occurred in early 2022 emerged which has given rise to grave concern i immediately brought it to the attention to the chair of the audit and risk committee and the board of the ihrb and the board that's the ihrb board has commissioned a full review of the matter to be conducted by an independent firm. He goes on to say that he has also made the, the disclosures that he has to to all the other relevant bodies which include Horse Racing Ireland um, and also uh, DAFM, the Department of Agriculture, uh, Farming and the Marine. Um, he was then pressed uh, by the ministers that were that were present and it was then that he revealed that uh, Donal O'Shea who is the Chief Financial Officer of the IHRB. And if you go into LinkedIn, he's been in that position since February 2017, which actually precedes the, um, the institution of the uh, Irish Horse Regulatory Board in, in, at the start of 2018. So that suggests that he holds that, suggests to me that he held that role at the Irish Turf Club previous, for a very short time prior to the IHRB as well. Um, anyway, he has, he has been, uh, he is on voluntary leave And his absence is leaked to governance around financial transactions. Um, He said that he's on voluntary leave without prejudice to his position since yesterday. So that's since Wednesday, the 28th of June of this year. Uh, He admitted that the issue is financial in nature and it related to governance around financial transactions. And then when pressed further, he didn't answer whether uh, that leave was actually voluntary or whether it was it was in effect Uh, Ordered And later on, uh, he described what he'd learned when preparing for this committee. um, He said that to describe it as a bombshell is not unreasonable in these circumstances. So, you know, we don't yet know whether the matters that uh, have been brought forward before the committee by um, Seamus McCarthy are connected to the voluntary leave of Donal O'Shea yet. Um, but you would imagine that more information is going to come out over the course of time and clearly more detail is going to need to be found out because there are a number of things that that we need to ask.
1: Lots of questions for us to to ask, as you say. Uh, should we start then with the, the former chief executive, Dennis Egan, his his previous roles within Irish horse racing?
2: Okay, so Dennis Egan was chief executive of the Irish Turf Club from 2001 to 2017, and he became the chief executive of the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board in 2018, when the regulatory and licensing functions of the Irish Turf Club were transferred to that body. He took early retirement from the IHRB in 2021, September 2021. Uh, Prior to being chief executive of the Turf Club, he was the financial controller uh, and uh, for the Irish Turf Club and the Curragh Racecourse from 95 to 2001, um, it also emerged in the the PAC committee uh, yesterday that the only contract available for the Comptroller and Auditor General Seamus McCarthy to view dated from Dennis Egan's appointment as CFO with the Turf Club, which dates back Um, many, many years. Um, And obviously it was was superseded, the whole arrangement was superseded by the formation of the IHRB as a private limited company in 2018. And the understanding there is, that it's emerged yesterday, that no contract existed. So that there was no contract uh, for uh, the uh, chief executive role of the IHRB or even the Irish Turf Club prior to that. And this is relevant because of the question that Seamus McCarthy asked at the, or the point that Seamus McCarthy made at the start of this hearing that in May 2022, the Minister for Agriculture wrote to the RHRB requesting that its 2021 financial statement should include the uh, salary of the Chief Executive. And now we're seeing, or you, one could infer, that there is uh, a, a differing reason coming out to what we'd previously heard as to why the 2021 accounts were delayed uh, until the 16th of March 2023 they should have been filed by September the 30th 2022 but there was a significant delay Um, and in the end the the point was made yesterday in the PAC hearing that the IHRB still hadn't complied with the minister's request request to include those details Um, so uh, we need to know um why the agricultural ministers previously so from uh, may twenty sixteen to june twenty twenty that was Michael Creed of finnegale, and from september twenty twenty onwards it was Charney. Charlie Oak, um, why they exempted the IHRB from making the normal full disclosure. So that's a that's a key question that has to be answered. And the other question that has to be answered, I think, actually comes back to Darrow O'Loughlin because he spoke to uh, the Nick Luck Daily podcast on the 10th of March of this year when the accounts were published, we discussed them on the podcast the previous day, and then The um, IHRB uh, were given a a right to reply the following day by Nick. And this is what uh, Nick and Dara spoke
3: about.
0: Let's talk about the annual review that's just come out for 2021. Why did it take so long to come
3: out? It took a long time to come out and that was frustrating for us. We had it drafted last summer and we were ready to go. But there's a statutory process laid down in law when you're funded by taxpayers' funds So we have to present our financial statements to our auditor, who is a controller and auditor general. It's a government function. They perform the audit. They provide the audit report at the end of their audit. And at that point, we have to give our report and financial statements to the department for the minister's review. He brings them to government, government notes them, and then they get as we say, laid before the Houses of the Oroctus. that's our Parliament. And it's only at that point that we're permitted to file the accounts with the company's office and release the annual report. That process took until last Thursday. But as soon as we got notification that the report was now available to the Houses of the Oroctus, we released it. We couldn't have got it out an hour earlier than we did
0: is that a source of frustration for you you're you're somebody who comes from a regulatory background so you understand how how these processes can sometimes take a long time because um the, the ihrb is is accountable to um i suppose to the public purse in ireland processes take a long time is that frustrating when you are trying to uh portray a a, a dynamic and and modern regulatory framework
3: it can be but we have to accept when you're working in a world where government is funding your organization, you're working within processes that take as long as they take, there's nothing to be gained by getting excessively frustrated. But yes, for us, for the team, it is frustrating to have had this report ready, to want to put it up as our shopfront to show the racing world and the wider world what the IHRB actually does. And then to have to sit on that report because there's a statutory process unfolding, knowing that at the time it comes out, it'll be that little bit less relevant because it'll look like it's out of date. That's disappointing. It can be frustrating then to be criticized for being so slow to publish a report when we weren't in control of the timelines. But, you know, we're big boys and girls and that's the world we live in. As you say, Lydia,
1: that was from the the 10th of March with Nick and Dara O'Loughlin. How do you respond to what Dara says?
2: Well, I think that um, Dara has got to account for why he said that then and now why, when preparing for for this um, committee, the the PAC committee hearing, uh, there is now a, a, a different, or there appears to be extra light shed on what might have happened to cause that delay. We'll have to see whether the two things are are connected, but it seems reasonable to to question whether that might be the case. And we need to understand uh, why Darrow Lachlan took one position in March, and now having made uh, further investigations, he's taken another position. And this will um, presumably um, be connected uh, with uh, what uh, Donal O'Shea has stood down for. And I, I should point out that he stood down without prejudice, according to Dara O'Loughlin, and that Dara O'Loughlin wasn't able to be drawn any further about the details to that, because there obviously is a, a process to be followed there. But from, from racing's perspective, they I think, uh, Irish racing's perspective, they need, and the Irish taxpayer's perspective, they need um, answers uh, to, to those key questions. I mean, in July 2021, the then CEO of the IHRB, Dennis Egan, said it was wrong to suggest that the IHRB isn't accountable to anyone and one of the problems with this is the integrity and transparency and accountability of the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board and Horse Racing Ireland um, is being called into question about this and, and they it, it, those are, are, are things that um, Darrell Loughlin when he took the role as, as the incoming Chief Executive was very strong on about integrity, about transparency, about accountability he was asked about this at the start of the PAC hearing, and he made those undertakings on behalf of the IHRB, well, it can't just be fine words, it actually has to be followed through with actions. you know, we we need to know what the salary of Dennis Egan wa- was. We need, we need to know what his um, exit package was and where those monies came from. I mean, it has been um, explained since the report, um, the financial report for 2021, that the 140,000-plus uh, extra euros was paid by the Turf Club and the Irish National Hunt Steeplechase Committee and not from public funds. I mean, again, more... Um, questions need to be answered in this area Um, yesterday at the PAC committee the um, now chief executive of horse racing island Suzanne Ede was asked whether a criminal investigation would be pending and she said that she didn't yet know enough to be able to speculate which is perfectly reasonable it only came to light this week from the IHRB's perspective but asked whether public funds had been misappropriated she said I don't believe so from what I've heard so far so it, it but that's really hard to kind of square with um, financial issues of grave concern and governance around financial transactions so again questions in in that area need to be asked and if I compare this is a further question the IHRB's uh, financial statements um if I look at particularly at employees and directors and the um the, the total costs into uh, the aggregate payroll costs uh, for the financial years of say 2020 compared to 2021 um well the, there's a, a large jump um, in salaries and wages, from 4.6 million euros to 5. almost 4 million euros, and the overall costs from 5.498 million euros and uh, to, to 7.094 million euros. Now that's an increase of almost 1.6 million euros, and during that time, the number of people who were employed. Uh, By the company went from 106 to 115. So you know, not not very many you would think. So again, though that that question I think needs to be answered in terms of why was there that marked difference in terms of the aggregate aggregate payroll costs between 2020 and 2021. And so one final question, which I probably should have mentioned earlier, is about uh, the previous accounts for the IHRB. Their 2018 accounts were incorrect by 1.6 million euro. Um, And had to be restated um, that the it was the figures for turnover integrity costs uh, had to be restated and reduced to the amount of 1.6 million um, from 9.6 million euros to 6.8 million euros, respectively. Um, This change resulted in no net effect on the surplus for 2018, nor on the reserve. But I just mentioned it because it might be relevant. And also, the 2019 accounts of the IHRB were submitted but then returned for unspecified reasons. And and finally, I'll just conclude really I I think that the only answer to this is a full and independent inquiry of both the IHRB and HRI, because these are are bodies that are are fully or partly um, uh, paid for by the Irish tax. And all of those people who are employed in this direction have talked about needing finan- uh, financial uh, scrutiny, or just just integrity, accountability, and full scrutiny. So I think we 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 need to ha- the, the Irish taxpayer uh, and Irish horse racing needs to be satisfied that this is actually happening. So I would call for a full and in- independent inquiry into both the IHRB. And HRI, um, and I think that um, at the start uh, of yesterday's hearing, Dara O'Loughlin talked about the IHRB board having um, calling for uh, uh, an inquiry to be carried out by an independent firm. Um, you know, we'd need to know who that was, and uh, would is the Irish government uh, and the people to whom these bodies have to have to answer? Are they satisfied with the IHRB board calling uh, and deciding on the independent firm, or is this something that needs to be done or instituted and demanded from a higher level
1: well one of the well fancied horses this weekend is blow your horn in the vase trained by ian williams who was at pontefract for this horse's excellent success um, the question i have in is is why are you going again before the chance to win a hundred thousand pound bonus yeah that's
4: quite interesting and i was, i was Actually, on the day at um, Pontefract, I had in my mind that you know there was certainly wouldn't be running. But because the uh, place is an early closing entry, um, he actually got in this race off his original mark before he started winning of seventy, and um, runs in the race off a mark of seventy-seven with a seven-pound penalty for winning two races. Um, but that is just one pound higher than what he went off at Pontefract at the weekend. Mm. So, my theory being that the, um, his opportunity to win his third race at Haydock isn't for another five weeks.
1: Um, so we have plenty of time to get him back fresh and well. And, um, yeah, it's a decent pot at Newcastle. And um, uh, if he were fortunate enough to win, he probably couldn't win any easier than the, the, the Pontiac. Mm. So the handicapper isn't going to be... Um, any more severe with him than he probably will be already. See, I was trying to piece this together because it, if if it all goes mm-hmm. to plan, it, it it could be very shrewd indeed. So, it's a naught to eighty five at Haydock. Is is that right? I think so. That's he right, should yes. he he should, you know, um, obviously he's got to win first. But you'd be hoping he wouldn't go up too much to to, to avoid that race. Even mm-hmm. if he did, you've still got a naught to ninety five. I think at Sandown. So the the plan is obviously to take. Yeah, Take a seventy-five grand pot and then see where you are, if you can. If we can, but you know these these pots are too big to miss. And we all know horses, and um, yeah, if they're fitting well, then it's, it's a good thing to take their chance. But I think the handicap would be very harsh if he if he put him up more than five or six pounds for the winner Pontifract which should keep him within that naught to eighty-five range, and obviously running off the same market. Um, Newcastle, or not this similar mark, he'd have to do something quite extraordinary. So, um, you know, my one hesitation is is that um, in the month of June he's had three, this will be his fourth race, um, and they're not easy races. Um, so, that's the, the one negative to him running at Newcastle tomorrow. It, it seems his progression has come with a return to turf. Is that coincidence? <laughs> No I think his, I think his progression has come with a return to two miles. Right. Um, he was he, he ran a huge race um, over to Lingfield on um, on the big days race. And he was only beaten a length and a half that day. and um, you know, Lingfield is certainly a more pace track than uh, Newcastle is, but um, he was beaten a length and a half that day off seventy two in a in a very competitive race. And, um, and was unlucky. Um, so, yeah, he's been there. But the two miles is probably the, uh, the interesting thing with this horse. And the, the further he goes, the better he seems to stay. OK. And did you, obviously, he won at Doncaster. And then is that when you started to think about targeting the, the Sky Bet Sunday Series bonus? Or was it just a case of they're good prize money anyway? We'll see how we fare. I think you always
4: have these things in the back of your mind, um, and you have to travel into them with with well handicapped horses. Um, so on on appreciating exactly what he didn't didn't want after Doncaster, you um, were able to look forwards, and you know, those would the those were the perfect races to run in. It had always been our plan to to go to Newcastle, um, but the
1: Pontefract race looked um, not the strongest of entry. So we took that option on, and um, and now we're just following up with what we probably originally planned to do, but with a with a nice backstop. Should things not go the right way tomorrow? Okay, two in the plate. Touch on their chances. Yeah, Law of the Sea. He's been um, he's been
4: doing very well. Uh, Running ran a sound race at the Chester Cup, ran a sound race at Haydock, and ran another sound race at Royal Astor. Um I don't think he'll mind the all weather at all, and he's got a lovely draw. We've just gone for a set of cheek pieces just to give Richard
1: some help and hopefully see him just edge out a, a little bit more. That, again, is another very competitive race, uh, but he's in there with, a, with an each-way shag, that's for sure. And Green Team's one of the outsiders? Yeah, he's, he's quite an interesting horse because we took him to Dubai and he, he got very unlucky out there and he's falling down the handicap um, and he actually runs um, from three pounds wrong in this race,
4: but It's a valuable pot and he's more than capable of performing off 87. Um, I just haven't quite got to the bottom of what his trip is and um, I'm sure he stays two miles, but I could just do with him relaxing a little bit early on. So from his draw, he'll be able to drop in behind and hopefully be a late finisher.
1: Okay, good stuff. Good luck in those two big races and with anything else you've got. Thanks for your time. Thank you. The plate then, Lydia, Northumberland plate. Give give, give me the winner. Go on. Nice and easy.
2: (laughs) I think it's actually um, I
1: think I, I apologise. I agree. I've got this horse wrong throughout his entire career. Oh,
2: I'm um, sorry, Michael Bell. I mean, we've absolutely held <laughs> him below the waterline now, haven't we? Big,
1: big trouble. But this, his form from last year is excellent, and this this I was impressed with him last time. Billy Lochnane's had a sighter on in the time before. I think I think I think the race is ideal for him.
2: Yeah, I I I totally agree. He ran in a little race called the Melrose. You might be familiar with it. Uh, finished- yes, he
1: did. He, that was beautifully <laughs> Gosden-esque. I enjoyed that.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, And both the runs this season have been have been fine, encouraging, Um, beaten by HMS President, who's gone on to run well at Royal Ascot, Uh, beat Pons Alias, who has uh, has won since. Uh, The £5 rise looks fine. He hasn't yet won on the all weather, but his dam won on debut. And I think there's enough in the pedigree to suggest it should be fine. So, yeah, I'm very interested in adjuvant for the Northumberland Plate.
1: Good, he's got no chance. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you and I. Um, and what about the the Irish Derby then? Is uh, the the market has it as a bit of a bit of a penalty kick, I guess, because August Rodan has has beaten those most of those in, in behind him in the market. What are your thoughts on the race?
2: I think it should be because it seemed to me that Auguste Rodin and King of Steel differentiated themselves from the rest of the field quite markedly in terms of ability. Uh, White Birch got himself a bit agitated beforehand and, you know, slowly into stride wasn't particularly well drawn in those circumstances had quite a lot to do probably wasn't at his best on the day. So maybe he might be able to, it might, might be able to improve on things. Uh, He finished third in the Derby um, and then behind him one spot behind was free well, who um, was uh, maybe you can less ready excuses. I, I just wonder about about White Birch, though. Is he? Is he starting to have an aversion to the start, and is that going to carry over? I would expect August Rodan um, to be able to um, stamp his authority on on that race. Um, the only time he's underperformed is in the two thousand guineas, and Aidan O'Brien went into long detail about the various reasons why he would need, need where he would probably have underperformed, not least of which um, is the the fact that it was a mile trip, and he's clearly a middle distance
1: horse. Well, there aren't many trainers yards in better form than, than Ed Walker who joins me now um, with a, some international arrows you're, you're sending out at the, the weekend a couple in Ireland Ed tell us more yeah busy weekend um, two in Ireland so we've got Miss Roberts uh, heads over um, to Curragh tomorrow well she's already heading over there now but she
3: runs in the group two um race and uh, a, bit of a, a bit of a um Shot, but she ran really well on debut
4: at Newmarket, and I just think the very quick ground uh, at Doncaster slightly found her out, and that was also a very good race. So she's very well prepared, and if she, if she can get a place, she's worth a lot of money. Um, so we thought, given given the small field,
1: only seven runners, and uh, quite a few of the opposition ran at Ascot last week, we thought we go there with a fresh horse, and we might it might be a good time to take them on. So we'll see how we get on. What was 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 sort of. Was she your starting point to going for Ireland, going to Ireland and, and then you're sending Cain from the dark as well? Was it a case of, well, send Cain from the dark and what else have we got to go? Are they, are they sort of both in, in those respective races because you think they've both got equal chances, if you know what I mean? Yeah, in all honesty, Miss Roberts was, was... It was obviously an early closing
4: race that way and, um, and I just thought that, um, you know, it, it can cut up that race and be a small field so we put her in that... Hoping that she'd win a a, a maiden beforehand, which obviously she hasn't done, Mm. and then came for the dark was a bit of an afterthought, but it it actually really could be an ideal, an ideal spot for him, and it's a valuable race, Um, and yeah, we just thought, why not have a go? So um, uh, it'll really suit him, I think, came for the dark. So and and he's down to a a, a mark; he's well capable of winning off now. So I'm looking forward to seeing him run.
1: So I could easily be sucked into backing him again because I have plenty of time. So does he just need them to go really hard and, and get a sort of nice sit through the race?
4: Yeah, I think the sort of nature of, of the five pounds there will really suit him. And um, yeah, the faster the pace, the better, really. Um, and I, I just imagine he'll be he'll be rattling home, he'll be finishing strong, and um, you know he, he, he really deserves a. A good pot, to be honest. With you. He's, mm. Yeah, he's had all sorts of problems at all. He's had a couple of wind ups. He had a, a soft tissue injury in his heart that took a long time to come right. Um, and he's he's a he's a really cool. He's a real favourite in the yard, and hopefully
1: he can bag us a big one. And Rose Pricks going to Ireland? In, uh, sorry, try again. France um, in a in a race that um, that the British trainer's got a pretty good recent record in. Yeah, it
4: looks like. Opportunity to Get some black tie. To be honest with you, she's she ran really well at York, um, and I think stepping uh, stepping back up to a mile will suit her. Um, she's she's a pity. You know, David Ward wants to breathe in these pities, and, and she's already um, a winner at two. And uh, we just feel that getting some black tie with her be more beneficial than, than potentially winning another handicap.
1: And we wouldn't have gone over there if, it, if we didn't think she had a. a, a of being in the three, and, and I think she'll run really well. So, um, looking forward to seeing her run. Uh, Sappy goes over there to ride, and she knows her very well. Uh, she's quite a lazy filly, and I really want a jockey that knows her and just won't won't give up on her because she she keeps going. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm quietly confident that she'll run a big race. Okay, uh, Random Harvest ran really well at, at Asuka Is she, is she an, an intended runner in the, the farm within a couple of weeks?
4: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's. Um, I think it's definitely worth a shot. She she just seems to be getting better and better, and, and um, she, the better races we put her in, the better she runs. And um, I, I can just see the form slightly cutting up. Um, and you know, she she I think the track will really suit her. Um, not that she has to make the running, but Newmarket, the Jai Court really does favour horses ridden positively, um, which she likes. To, like that's how she likes to be ridden. And uh, she's come out of Ascot really well
1: and she's just a, a filly who's just, in, you know, to think that she got beaten at Ascot last year off 81 mm. and then was just touched off in a, geez, a Cambridge this year. You know, she's made huge progress and, um, no, she's an exciting filly for the rest of the year. Cheers, Ed, good luck. Thanks, Tom. Some other bits of news to to just tidy up. Um Another a bit of news which broke after yesterday's podcast, the fact that Frankie Vittori's appeal for careless riding failed. Is that a surprise?
2: Not at all. Not really. Um, I, cu- I couldn't. I mean, he, particularly in the fact that he was trying to get it down one level of careless riding from uh, to, to the sort of maximum four day threshold rather than the the five, I think, to 14 it is threshold. Nine was was bang in in the middle. Um, and the um, the disciplinary panel, the independent disciplinary panel um, were were not impressed. Uh, by the arguments that were that were put forward chairman james o'mani said um of Frankie de he couldn't and shouldn't have moved right if he was aware of the presence of Mr Macdonald because he was not clear he says he was not aware of the presence of Mr Macdonald, our conclusion is that he should have been aware, it may come as a surprise to him that Mr Macdonald would take that course and maybe Mr de with his great experience wouldn't have taken that course close to the rail, but there it is, he did take it and he was there and so then in the in the sort of arguments for mitigation for the, for the penalty um, Omani was similarly unimpressed, he stated the steward's Put this in the middle of the range having regard to the degree of danger I s- I'm afraid we see no reason to criticise that or to conclude it was wrong or unduly severe we conclude that nine days is the appropriate penalty. I should state that a disciplinary panel hearing is not a review of the steward's uh, decision it is a re-hearing from first principles so you know this it's been through the appeal process and uh, the appeal against the nine-day suspension I'm afraid stands and that means that uh, Frankie de will miss out on the eclipse. And we know that also because of his uh, whip infringement, he's going to miss out on the uh, July meeting as well.
1: And uh, also uh, news breaking yesterday that that Flutter, the parent company of uh, Betfair Paddy Power, mm-hmm. Skybet, have uh, pledged to uphold their highest standards after a, a coroner's ruling that a gambling disorder contributed to a man's death.
2: Yeah, this is this is a... A terrible story, really. It's regarding the death of a, a Leicester man, uh, Luke Ashton, who's a married father of two and was 40 at the time of his death, and had been enduring problems with um, compulsive gambling for a while. This is the evidence that his wife Annie gave to the inquest. Um, it's thought that this is the first the gambling company had been formally involved um, and coroner e. Ivan Cartwright said on Thursday the Betfair could have done more to help Ashton who had debts of £18,000 and was betting up to 100 times of the day. Uh, the coroner added, Luke Ashton was assessed as a low-risk gambler, although his activity was more intensive in the 10 weeks prior to his death. The operator did not intervene or interact with Luke in any meaningful way. Luke Ashton died as a result of his own actions. At the time of his death, he was suffering from a gambling disorder that was long-standing and contributed to the decision to take his own life. Uh, Betfair, along with Paddy Power and Skybet, operate under the Flutter banner, Flutter UK and Ireland. And their chief executive, Ian Brown, said, we wish to reiterate our sincere condolences to Mrs Ashton and her family. We're truly sorry for their loss. Flutter UKI is committed to to doing the right thing and creating an environment for customers to enjoy our products in a safe and sustainable way. Over the past three years, we have made significant changes to our controls, including mandatory deposit limits for customers who return to our sites after a period of self-exclusion. We hold ourselves to the highest standards in the industry and we will, of course, incorporate additional learnings from this tragic case into our systems and processes. But a spokesperson for Gambling with Lives said, the coroners conclusion have shown once again how the gambling industry puts profit over people 's lives, continuing to offer bets when all the signs showed a life was in danger. This cannot keep happening. The gambling commission must remove gambling license, gambling operators' licenses when they breach them, and the government must take its gambling reforms further and faster um, i mean this is a This is a terrible case and it must be noted more generally that uh, these um, infringements and and things that really shouldn't be happening keep happening and companies keep distancing themselves from their former behavior. But as we go on, this behavior still seems to to come out and it, it is very much beholden on the companies to behave in a, a responsible manner but it is also responsible for the ga- um, there's also a huge responsibility for the gambling commission to take this much more seriously uh, because this is the kind of tragic outcome that can happen if there isn't the proper interventions put in place
1: Liz Price contributed to the podcast yesterday from South Africa with Michael Roberts uh, here she is again in this instance with south africa's only female rider
5: i'm joined now by rachel venica who is going to ride a horse in the group two on saturday for michael roberts a horse called Sunblushed, and she's just been working the horses here at summerfield training center in durban and rachel i believe you are currently the only woman riding in south africa yes that is correct um i've been the only one
6: for about three years now so it is really quite amazing (laughs) and tell me how did you get into this sport um I started as a work rider um back in about 2015 and the bug bits and I decided that you know this was the career for me and I thought about training and then I thought about riding and I had support from the trainers who said you know go for it but I battled to get in we have the South African Jockey Academy here and you have to go through them in order to get a license and I battled to get accepted to the academy um my weight wasn't quite what they were looking for I ride at 53 they wanted me lighter i am tall my bones are they said i'm gonna get heavier i'll battle with my weight so it took me three years to get in there um (laughs) eventually garth polo michael roberts and kevin wright went out and had a meeting with them got me into the academy and since then we've never
5: looked back and tell me what is it like to be riding as the only woman here in south africa are you accepted by your fellow colleagues by the owners how does it work uh, to start with, of course, it was
6: a bit tough, I mean, they said, you know, a girl can't hold their own here, it hasn't been done before. Um, but now, you know, I'm dual champion apprentice, I've won last year, I'm champion elect this year, and uh, so, so far, they've all completely accepted me, they all just treat me like another one of the boys. And tell me, have you ever thought about going abroad? Most definitely. Um, I've still got, I'm in my final year of my apprenticeship. Once that's done, I'll probably stay in South Africa for a little bit, and then, uh yeah, whatever job opportunities come available overseas, I'll I'll definitely be looking
5: into it. And tell me, you were talking about the academy. I think you come from a show jumping background? Yes, that's correct. Um Yeah, so I've ridden my whole life. Uh, we've got
6: horses on our property at home. We also live in Summerfelt.
5: Uh,
6: I competed show jumping uh, junior B grade, um, 120, 130 for, for quite a while. And then uh, once the sort of racing bug bit, then... I had to of course stop once I started professionally racing
5: but uh, I've still got my my two horses staying at home and do you follow racing uh, abroad obviously in England you must know of Holly Doyle who um, has just been so successful at Royal Ascot again what do you make of that yeah uh, she's she's fantastic
6: to watch I've been watching her for a while I do follow a lot of overseas racing you can pick up a lot of good um, tactics and and different styles and things from there and uh, you know Holly Doyle it's Phenomenal, and I watch these ladies over there—Hayley um, Turner, all of them—they absolutely outstanding. And to watch Holly Doyle, um, I was watching on the TV the the first Group One she'd won
5: at Ascot. I mean, I got goosebumps watching that. And tell me, Holly Doyle is someone who works out a lot. Do you work out? Do you? How do you keep fit over here? So I used to. I used to be a proper gym
6: fanatic. Um, another concern with the academy was the the fitness regime to get in, and they made it quite exceptionally difficult for me. Um, so I went kind of military style. And I do absolutely love going to gym. That's all I ever want to do. But at the moment, there's so much racing in South Africa. I don't really have time to. But as soon as I have an off day, I hit the road, go for a jog, um, gym, Virgin Active. We've got a gym at the academy. We gym twice a week. Um, so I would say I'm, I'm quite a, a fanatic of exercise,
5: but not so much now as I was before. And we've just heard the tractors come by here and summer, felt. Um, can you tell us how this training centre actually works? How many lots do you ride? How does it work in the morning? Yeah, so we're a little bit different from overseas. Um,
6: the, we've got sets of grooms who bring a string of horses to track and we just work straight from the rings. So I'm getting through about 20, 25 horses in the morning. Um, we've got a, a beautiful facility here. All the trainers ring in the centre of the tracks. We've got, uh, I think, six to eight tracks um at 1800 meter grass right the way around um with a turn and straight we pull up and come back um a beach track 800 meters a top sand that's also 1800 meters right round. we've got a bottom track with hill work um, grass down there A poly track um so it is i'd say world-class facility
5: and tell me about the durban july you don't have a ride in it this year you were supposed to ride in it last year but then you had a an accident yeah
6: yeah last year was a, a real disaster um the week before the meeting i had a horse freak accident fly jumped out the gates um so high it actually hit my head on the top of the starting gates. so i was diagnosed concussed and i had quite severe whiplash so that put me out of last year and this year i did have a ride but he went to second reserve so we i highly doubt he'll get in i mean you've got to hope for two scratchings but again you never know and uh he will be running in the consolation race on the same day and do you think you can win that race Looking at it, I think he'll have a chance. The only thing against us is that Gravel turf track is quite difficult from a bad draw. We draw on 15 from 15, but it might suit him because he has a horse that comes from off them. So we are to prove a point that he should have been in the July. So hopefully he will win it.
5: But I imagine for you as a woman, the Durban July, that's the biggest day out here in South Africa, from what I understand, it must be quite an honor to be riding even a race on the card. Yes, absolutely. I
6: mean, I'm blessed to have nine rides on the card. Um, I'm one of the only apprentices that has nine rides on the day. There's only 12 races. Well, I'll say only. Um, it is an honor. And as you can see, I'm sure from us at the moment, it is like a hyped up week. Um, by Saturday, all the grooms come to the track singing and they're all dancing and happy in the morning. And it's, it is a, it's a really phenomenal week leading up to this big day. And it is. It's known as our biggest race day. And, uh, you know, I, I suppose I am blessed to be a part of it.
5: Well, we wish you all the best for Saturday. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you.
1: Lydia, just a selection from you, please.
2: Well, a quite fancy adjuvant for the Northumberland Plate, but I'm going to go with Love Your Work in the 7.10, the 19.10 at Newcastle today. uh, Horse ran well after a break last time, um, having been up front for much of the race, but was beaten late on by the well-handicapped winner, had the West well beaten. Has won off this mark uh, before um, likes the all weather um, so I'm going with uh, love your work for Rebecca Menzies and Charlie Bennett in the uh, 710 the 1910 at Newcastle this evening.
1: Lydia thank you love your work in in all seriousness thank you for that exceptional and detailed look into everything we know from the hearing with the IHRB yesterday. We will speak to you again on, on Monday with the podcast proper, and Charlotte will be back this evening with the Saturday edition. That was Friday, the 30th of June. Bye bye.
0: You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with FitzDares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.